Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the fact that Christ surrendered all for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider the meaning of that surrender and that sacrifice, that we would in turn surrender to you. Lord, as we study your word today, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we can see wonderful things in it. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 13, which we are studying uh, chapters 13 through 17 in the book of John through this Life Connected to Christ series. But John chapter 13 begins with these words. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Loving the disciples to the end is exactly what was happening in the upper room. And as we talked last week, Jesus began this meeting with an astonishing step of the demonstration of love where he took on the role of the lowest slave and chose to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, of course, we know that the foot washing was just an appetizer. The main course was to come. It was the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever known when Jesus gave up his life on the cross to demonstrate his love for them and for us. He was loving his own to the end. But before John gets to the foot washing part of the lesson, that Christ lesson on love, he, he wants to be sure that we understand something about the dynamics in the room. There was something, an undercurrent, something going on there that he wants the reader to recognize is happening. And he reveals it in verse 2 of John 13. He says, the evening meal was in progress, that's the Passover feast, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Even then, Satan had already prompted, it was a temptation, prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Now, why would John include this disturbing nugget of doom right before he taught us about the, the greatest act of love up until that time, the washing of the disciples' feet. Why would he include it in the story? Because we need to recognize that the impending betrayal is an obstacle to Jesus loving all of them to the end. The impending betrayal of Judas was an obstacle that could prevent Jesus from loving all of them to the end. Only Jesus and Judas were privy to what was going on in the heart of Judas. Only those two people in the room. And what John wants the reader to know, and, and what I think still fascinated him as he wrote this letter some 40 years after the event is that Jesus knew 
I want you to think about this. Jesus knew that Judas was seriously considering betrayal. Satan had already planted that in his mind. And yet, Jesus loved Judas just as he loved the others. He loved him to the end. So in verses 3 through 17, John tells the story of how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And we talked about this last week, but we have to remember, this was the worst chore of them all. It was the worst chore of them all. It was so bad. It was so bad. How bad was it? Let's try again. It was so bad. It was so bad that Jewish slaves were exempt from the task. They didn't have to do it. The job always fell to the lowest ranking Gentile slave who was considered less than a human being by the Jews. But to the amazement of the disciples, Jesus got up from the place of honor in the banquet. He took off his outer garment. He wrapped himself in a towel, took up the basin and water, and began to wash the disciples' feet. And then when he was finished with that disgusting task, he returns to his seat and begins unpacking his message. What is it that he wanted them to know? He tells them that selfless, sacrificial service is the essence of greatness in his kingdom. That's it. Selfless, sacrificial service is the essence of greatness. And this kind of love and service, he said, is what is expected of every follower of Jesus. Now, after Jesus finished modeling and the message, there was a distinctive shift in the mood of the room. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21. John chapter 13. We're going to begin reading in verse 21. After he had said this, all the message about what greatness was and love, Jesus was, he was troubled in spirit. And he testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter, who was seated some distance away, obviously motioned to this disciple and said, Hey, ask him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, 
do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now in verse 21, John observes that something is bothering Jesus. Look at it. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, here's the question we need to ask. What was troubling Jesus? You say, well, duh. It's obvious, isn't it? One of his 12 closest friends in the world, a man that he spent three years of his life with, was going to betray him. And and it wasn't going to be a run-of-the-mill betrayal. He wasn't going to talk bad about him behind his back or, or tell lies about him or take his job or steal his girlfriend. He was going to sell him out to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, was the cost of a common slave... He was going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And that betrayal would lead to Jesus' arrest and ultimately to his crucifixion. You think that would trouble your spirit? For starters, I think we can reasonably assume that Jesus was troubled because his friend was about to hurt him deeply. In addition to that, I think he was certainly troubled because, well, he didn't want to face the pain of the cross. We we know that because just a few hours later, Jesus would pour his heart out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying essentially, Lord, if, if there's any other way to accomplish this mission of redemption, if there's any way that this this cup of suffering can pass from me, then let's take that way. He he didn't want to suffer the physical brutality of the cross. And I think in addition, and maybe even more so, he, he couldn't fathom what it would mean for him to be separated from the Father as he who knew no sin became sin so we could be the righteousness of God. The thought of it was troubling him. So he was disturbed in spirit because he was heartbroken at the betrayal of a friend and, in addition, he was tormented by the thought of what that betrayal would lead to. What else could there be? That was enough, right? Well, I'm, I'm actually convinced there was something else. It, it's an often looked, overlooked element of this story. The, the first two issues were real enough, and they are at face value. Any of us would be disturbed by the betrayal of a friend and our impending execution. 
by the way, I'm always fascinated that when they tell about the la someone's last meal before they are executed, I wouldn't be able to eat. Troubled in spirit would describe my disposition. There's no way around it. But we also need to recognize that if those were the only two issues that were troubling Jesus, it would be completely out of character for him. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of what we know about Jesus. What we know about Jesus is that it was never about him. This would be the only time in Scripture where he was thinking primarily about how something affected him. The, the pain of betrayal, which he had experienced many times before as he saw those who said they were following him walk away. The idea that he could be physically injured, yeah, that, that bothered him. But there was something else. Because Jesus never really put himself first. His heartache was always rooted in his concern for others. Compassion was his calling card. When he wept, he wept for the pain of death for his friends, Lazarus' sisters. In this case, I think the primary reason his spirit was troubled was something was going on in the heart of his friend Judas. And it was breaking Jesus' heart. See, Jesus had spent the better part of three years with all 12 of his disciples, exhorting them, even training them to resist the advances of the enemy and stand in righteousness. Yet, Judas was being tempted by the enemy, and Jesus knew that he was ultimately going to fall. Jesus knew that Judas, by his own decision-making, would step out of light and into the darkness. Jesus' mission was to bring people out of darkness and into the light. But Judas was going the other direction. He was making a foolish choice, rejecting Jesus, and that choice was going to keep him locked out of the riches of the kingdom of God. He came to give his life to prevent that. And yet Judas was choosing it. And so Jesus was troubled not just because of what was going to happen to him. But what happened, what was going to happen to Judas. Whom he loved as much as he loved the others. Now when John wrote that Jesus loved them to the end, he wasn't just talking about the 11 that would remain faithful. He was talking about Judas. Right up until the end, right up until the cross, Jesus loved Judas. Does that surprise you? You know, we spend a lot of time vilifying Judas. But Jesus didn't. 
Jesus understood that love is loyal. Even when the person you love is not loyal to you. Remember, before John describes anything that happened in the Last Supper, he informs us that Satan had already planted this idea in Judas' mind to betray Jesus. So Jesus knew that Judas was mulling it over, he was weighing his options, even as Jesus was loving him to the end. Jesus loving Judas in hopes of winning his heart. Because see, it's not sin to be tempted. We don't have to confess that we're tempted. We confess when we sin. Now, we, we, we might tell God, I'm being tempted, I need help. But sin is the problem, and sin is what we do. That night, even as he was being tempted, there were two distinct demonstrations of Jesus' love. We know about the first when Jesus washed his feet. Judas' feet? Really? I mean, Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. He washed the feet of his betrayer. Why would he do that? Because for Jesus to refuse to wash Judas' feet would have been an act of betrayal. Love is loyal. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, perfect love never fails. And Jesus wouldn't fail to do the right thing by Judas, even if Judas refused to do the right thing by Jesus. So he washed his feet. After doing so, Jesus announced, there's a traitor in our midst. Upon Peter's insistence, John, who Jesus had a special affinity for, because he was likely the youngest disciple and Jesus took him under his wing, John, Peter said, John, why don't you find out who that's going to be? John asked Jesus who, is, who it was, and in verse 26, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now listen, this act, a small act, seemingly insignificant to us, of D Jesus giving the bread to Judas was another demonstration of Jesus' gracious love for Judas. See, for the host or the master of the feast to offer one of the guests a piece of bread that he had personally dipped into a dish was the sign of special friendship and favor. Just think about this. Judas, betraying Jesus, and Jesus singles him out for honor. In offering Judas the bread, Jesus was going out of his way to honor his betrayer. There, there, there's no question that Judas understood exactly what was happening. Everybody 
understood the gesture. By the way, that's why they couldn't figure out where Judas was going. That's why they couldn't get it in their minds that Judas was the one. He was loved. Jesus was saying, Judas, I love you. It is not too late. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, it's not too late. No matter what you're going to do, with this bread, Jesus was saying to Judas, you can still do the right thing. I still love you. I consider you my friend. But Judas didn't do the right thing. Verse 27 says, As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What does that mean? N.T. Wright explained what this meant when he wrote these words. John does not mean that Judas became demon-possessed in the same way as those unfortunate characters we meet from time to time in other Gospels. The the word Satan in Hebrew actually means accuser. It's a legal term for someone who brings a prosecution or a charge against someone else. What we are now to witness is Judas being used by the forces of darkness to bring a charge against Jesus who is the messenger of light. The confrontation between light and darkness which has been hanging over this gospel like a storm is coming to a climax and Judas has been willingly enlisted among the forces of darkness. Satan entered into him because Judas said, I'll cooperate with you. He had two choices. He could cooperate with Christ and enjoy his love. Which, by the way, it appeared he was because he took the bread. He let him wash his feet. Can can you receive something from Jesus and yet reject him? Judas did. John, who is the master storyteller, ends the account of Judas in verse 30 when he says, As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. It was night. The door opens into the dark night. And in every sense, at every level, Judas disappears into darkness. Jesus knew it was going to happen. And it broke his heart. He knew Judas' fate. And there's no doubt in my mind that the fact that Judas walked out into darkness crushed Jesus. That's exactly what he came to prevent. 
Jesus loved Judas completely, loyally, to the end. And I believe Jesus' special treatment of him is why the disciples could not conceive of Judas being the betrayer even after he left. It just didn't compute with him. It didn't make sense that Jesus would love him unflinchingly. Could, could, could there have been a greater sin than betrayal? I don't think so. And yet Jesus loved him. We don't even like people who disagree with us. Who make us uncomfortable. Who do things that we think they shouldn't do. Not Jesus. The disciples couldn't believe that that Judas was the one because why in the world would Jesus wash his feet? Why in the world would Judas be the one that he singled out to dip the bread into the bowl and then hand it to him, signifying that he was the guest of honor? That they couldn't conceive of Jesus doing anything but unleashing his righteous indignation on the one who would betray him. But he washed his feet. And he gave him the bread. And as John recounts this story, you you, you can just, if you read it in its entirety, you you can just sense his amazement. Forty years later, he's looking back and he still can't believe it. The love and loyalty that Jesus showed Judas was uncommon and it was uncalled for. No one else. Would have accepted. As a matter of fact, I believe the reason Peter wanted to know who it was is because he wanted to get after him. They wanted to know who the rat was that would betray their master and their Lord. Jesus loved, uncommon, uncalled for, and yet perfectly predictable because that's just the way he rolled in the sermon on the mount jesus i think pointing to this just another instance where he's he's planting seeds that are going to bear fruit much later as the disciples experience the kind of amazing love that he produced In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was describing to his audience what the kingdom of God looked like, he told them that one of the signs of the kingdom of God was the manifestation of the kind of love that expressed itself to its enemies. Do do you remember that? Look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 43, Jesus giving all the truth about the kingdom of God. He says, hey, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies. What? Let's try again, Jesus. I, I think you got it all spun around there. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, that makes sense. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why would we do that? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Oh, is that what God would do? See, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We call that common grace. Everybody experiences the grace of God. Everybody experiences the love of God. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Like, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And they're the worst. And, and if you greet only your own people, what, what are you doing more than others? Don't the pagans do that? They don't even fear God. Look, here's the bottom line, Jesus says. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What, what, what's perfect? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I, I imagine that if, if, if we stopped and asked you to write down the name of someone that you consider to be your enemy someone who has betrayed you someone who has wounded you so deeply that you still haven't recovered I imagine every person in this room could put a name down and you know what Jesus would come alongside you and say Love your enemies. Are you a child of the Father? Love your enemies. Yeah, not that one. Nope, that one. When Jesus came along, the teaching was that love was reserved for neighbors, friends, family, and associates that would reciprocate it. It was quid pro quo. I'll love you if you love me. That's the way it worked. Their duty was to love those who loved them. And, and by the way, it makes perfectly good sense. Of course that's who we love. But Jesus turned that command on its head saying that they were to offer that kind of love for others the same kind of love that God had for them. They were to love their enemies and even pray for God's blessings to be poured out on those who persecuted them. You know what that means? That means their hearts we're supposed to break for those broken people 
who had hurt him. He tells them that virtually anyone can love people who love them back. That's not hard. Even tax collectors and pagans get that right. No prize. He's not passing out prizes to everybody. What reward is there in that? But, he says, if you're going to show God's love to others, you're going to have to offer it indiscriminately. God's love targets the enemy. We think of enemies as targets. But do we understand they're targets for God's love? They're going to have to love and serve those who did not deserve it. So in the upper room that night, Jesus actually adds one more layer to the command to love others as God loved. They were going to have to love those who betrayed them. We are going to have to love those who betray. You know what's interesting? Those weren't just words. That's just not what Jesus said in the upper room that night. He practiced what he preached. Remember, they didn't even know there was a problem with Judas. They knew something was bothering Jesus. But they didn't know it was Judas. So after Judas leaves, knowing the disciples would soon know the truth because Judas was going to lead a group of people into the garden where Jesus was praying, struggling, and he was going to kiss his master as the sign of betrayal. It's interesting, the more love there is, the greater the betrayal. Those two things often bumped together. So when the disciples would know the truth about Judas, Jesus said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a new command tonight. Having seen what you just saw, I'm giving you insight into what's truly going to set you apart What's going to make you effective in the mission of advancing God's revolutionary kingdom? And here's what he said in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, as I have loved Judas, so you must love one another. And then he said, by this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know what Jesus' love meant? It meant that he loved them all the same. All of them. He loved the betrayer 
in the same way he loved the faithful. He loved the betrayer in the same way he loved the faithful. He loved them all, all of them, all of us, to the end. That's the way he loves you and me, to the end. The, the, the takeaway today is that no matter what you have done or what you're going to do, Jesus loves you. The scripture actually tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He died on the cross to send the message of his loyal love. He's going to love us to the end in our weakness, in our sin, and even in our betrayal. He loves us completely. But the scripture also says that if you reject his love, if you choose betrayal, then you, like Judas, will effectively be walking out into darkness. You know, today people want to take away the idea that we could ultimately die and be separated from God for eternity. It makes us uncomfortable that God would judge sinners, irrelatively good people. But what Jesus taught us that God loves faithfully to the end, but he loves us so much that he's not going to violate our free will and force us to receive, accept, and celebrate his love. Right up till the end, literally the end of Judas' life, who, by the way, would commit suicide as a result of his decision-making. But right up until the end of his life, Jesus loved him with a unique, special, honoring love. He washed his feet, and he gave him the bread of friendship. And Judas walked away and out into darkness. Just as Judas did... You can reject Christ's love. You, you can reject the offer and the demonstration of perfect love and be left out of the light. It's your choice. Just as Jesus did everything he could do for Judas, Jesus has done everything he can do for us to be a part of his kingdom. The question today is, will you surrender to his love? To his offer of forgiveness? To his offer of friendship? Do you surrender all to the one who surrendered all for you? 
No matter what you've done, where you've been, where you're going, He loves you. That's not going to change. It never will. And if you surrender to Him the riches of God's kingdom, the riches of God's kingdom, they're yours. kingdom of perfect love is yours. He accepts us just as we are so we can be all that he created us to be. And if you surrender to his vision for your life, then you're surrendering to the call to love others, everybody, just as Christ loved you. People in the wrong political party, people who pull for the wrong team, people who have betrayed you. Everybody. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, it's really amazing when we stop to consider that what was really breaking Jesus' heart that night, what was troubling his spirit in the upper room was the fate of his friend Judas. We see and recognize, Lord, that Jesus did everything he could do to communicate his unflinching love for Judas. And Father, we're thankful because we know that there isn't much that separates us from Judas. We are all of us capable of betrayal. But Lord, we want to live in the light of your love. And so Father, I pray today, right now, for those who have been listening to your story, who have considered Jesus, the story of his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, but they, they, they haven't surrendered to his love. I, I pray today, Lord, would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day that they step out of darkness and into the light. Lord, I, I pray by your spirit you would give them the courage to say yes. To accept Christ's love. And Father, for those of us who have been following you, whether it be for 20 years or 3 years like Judas and the other disciples, I, I pray, Lord, that we would be loyal to the one who is loyal to us, that we would surrender to the one who surrendered to us, for us, so other people can know your love. Lord, we, we thank you for loving us when it's uncalled for, when it's undeserved. We thank you for loving us through Jesus. May we honor his love 
by loving others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.